0: Well, I'm not sure exactly how small a person has to be to classify as a, quote, wee little man, but Zacchaeus seems to measure down to that standard. The Bible's quintessential little man, in our songs and our stories, he's rendered small and slight, imagined well below the 5 foot 5 inch estimated average height of men in first century Palestine, but that's not the only way that we're conditioned Look down on him. Listen to Luke's description again. There was a man there named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. These are the very first things that we learn about him right after his name. And in a gospel where we've seen Jesus' care for the forgotten and the lowly, immediately we are asked to connect Zacchaeus to those who are elevated and who are lofty. And so we probably start to connect him to others Jesus encounters or tells us about. We connect him to the farmer who builds big barns in order to hoard the bumper crop of grain. Or we connect him to the rich man who is so preoccupied with everything about his own life that he doesn't seem to notice Lazarus at his gate. We connect him to the ruler who wants to follow Jesus, but he just can't seem to turn loose of all of his possessions. He was rich, and he was a tax collector, and not only a tax collector, but a chief among them. And we know how a tax collector became rich. We know, don't we, the compromises made, all of the backroom deals, how he must have sold out his own people in order to collaborate with the Roman Empire, chief of tax collectors, chief of sinners. And we size him up right away. He's the little guy down in the far end of the kindergarten class picture. He's the one who needed help to reach the top shelf. He's the one who was always a point guard and never a post presence. Small in stature, Luke describes in verse 3. But the phrase could mean physical stature. Or it could also mean that he was small, that he was slight, that he was reduced in reputation. And being small like that, it means more than not being able to see what everyone else can see over the heads of the crowd it also means that you are just completely on the edge of it all. Being small in that way, it makes it harder not only to reach things that are up high, but also harder to be seen yourself, to be heard, to be included and embraced. So perhaps he grappled with a sort of pre-Napoleonic complex, where those small in stature are looked down on when they compete aggressively with those of average height. People who are small, well, they should know they are small, the implicit bias goes. And if you experience enough of that kind of thing, well, that could lead a person to take a job like a tax collector. A job in which it was easier to make a lot of money, maybe to achieve stature in some form at least, if you're willing to work for those loathsome Romans, the ones who keep your own people under the heel of their boot. But might it explain why a person would bear the hatred of his own people and live a life lived on the fringes of society, judged and excluded, small in stature, rich, chief of tax collectors, and the text says all the people standing around, they begin to mumble and to mutter and to grumble about voices in harmony with our own sing-song portrayals of this wee little man. But then he does an enormous thing. Zacchaeus is situated in Luke's gospel, right here in chapter 19, as the very last stop before Jesus reaches Jerusalem. This is the final scene of the pre-passion ministry of Jesus. A stop through Jericho, on the way to Jerusalem, and one last interaction before that final week, before that last time gathered with his disciples. This is the last friendship before Jesus lays down his life for all of his friends. As such, this story is meant to hold a large, a sweet place in our understanding of the ministry of Jesus and of the mercy of God. In some ways, in the person of Zacchaeus, we have a giant. We have this oversized summation of so much of what we have throughout. We read of Zacchaeus trying to see Jesus. And we remember the man born blind whom Jesus had just healed. We remember his proclamation that he has come to proclaim recovery of sight to those who are blind. We watch as Jesus looks up at Zacchaeus, in his perch in the tree, and we think of all of those times that Jesus looks, how his eyes seem to work differently, how they seem to fixate on those whom others do not see, and how at one point he even looked and saw us. We hear that Zacchaeus is rich, and we remember all of those who have held their wealth tightly, finding it coiling back like a serpent to bite them on the hand. We hear that Zacchaeus is blocked by the crowd, and we remember the children kept back by the disciples, but recognized and drawn in by Jesus. We of Zacchaeus' persistence in seeing Jesus. We hear him press his own case against the crowd, and we remember the widow who wouldn't give up until she was heard. And most of all, we watch as salvation comes to him. As he emerges from his house, made new, changed, different. And we remember again the largest of truths that Jesus came to proclaim. That through the power of Christ, you can become more than you ever knew you could be. Parker Palmer is a spiritual writer some of you know. And he describes an encounter that he had with one of his heroes and one of mine, the late Representative John Lewis. Lewis was one of what are sometimes called the big six leaders of the African-American civil rights movement. He was head of the Student Nonviolent Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, or SNCC, at age 24. He worked tirelessly for racial and economic justice for nearly half a century, including organizing the Mississippi Freedom Summer. And in March of 2011, Parker Palmer spent three days on a civil rights pilgrimage that was led by John Lewis, and they retraced steps. They went from Birmingham to Montgomery and then on to Selma. And this on the sixth anniversary of Bloody Sunday. They recreated the march across Selma's Edmund Pettus Bridge with Lewis right up front, just as he had been in 1965. At that time, of course, people were resisting the movement with everything in their Unlike the ways that some still do now, in ways more subtle and polite. But to Representative Lewis and others, this was the coming of justice. And Palmer says that after the march, as the bus took them back to the Montgomery airport, John Lewis told him a story that he'll never forget. Back in the day, John Lewis and a friend were in a bus station. And four young white men came in, and they attacked them. They beat them with baseball bats. They left them lying there. And when their assailants left, Lewis and his friend, they found shelter, they tended their wounds, they went on with their nonviolent work, and Lewis still actually bears, bore the scars of some of the beatings that he had taken during those years. Well, Lewis described how a few years prior, he was in his Capitol Hill office, it was about 2007 or 8, and a white man about his age walked in and said, Representative Lewis, I'm one of the men who assaulted you at that bus station. And then absolutely breaking down, the man said, I've come to seek your forgiveness to beg that you forgive me. And speaking simply and sparely, Lewis described, I stood, we wept, and I forgave him. We sat down, we talked for over an hour, and Parker Palmer said that as the bus sped on through that murderous countryside, John Lewis leaned back, and he gazed out the window, and then he said very softly, almost to himself, people can change. People can change. Remarkably merciful and graceful statement from a man who still bore scars, and an echo from the very home, the very table of Zacchaeus, This Goliath in our tradition, of the faith and the mercy that Jesus has been trying to model for us and to tell us about. This mercy that always reaches for people, that spans every gulf that we can imagine, that crosses every boundary that we can construct. This mercy that leads to repentance and also even to something more, to repair, to renewal, Dr. Kevin Cosby is an influential pastor in Louisville, Kentucky, also the president of Simmons College, and I once heard him talk about repentance and salvation, and he described it this way. He said, if you steal my car on Monday, and you get saved on Tuesday, and you still have my car on Wednesday, well then you did not get saved on Tuesday. (laughs) Because forgiveness, repentance, salvation, it means not only something individual, it's always linked to the work of justice and righteousness in our world. It means that justice that Walter Brueggemann once described of finding out what belongs to whom, returning it to them. And so forgiveness is not a mere expression or a word, but it has to be linked to active practices of repentance, of return, of repair in the cheap grace, Zacchaeus emerges from the house and he proclaims, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay it back four times as much. Confessing that he will no longer go door to door trying to find his life, but instead will live by that truth that has been whispered to him that he has found, by giving it away. The preacher and writer Lloyd C. Douglas this story and imagined it as a mirror, and he imagines this dialogue between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus said the carpenter gently, what did you see? Well, good master, Zacchaeus said, I saw mirrored in your eyes the face of the Zacchaeus that I was meant to be. Jesus' voice cutting through all of our songs and our rhymes about this story with what might be the theme of the entire gospel proclaimed in verse 10 that the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. All of us. In other words, we can change. We can see ourselves as God and Christ can see us. We can become the people that Jesus imagines us becoming in dramatic and life-altering and world-changing ways. And yet so often, we are content with average height. We're content to be just one among the crowd. And we settle for muttering or mumbling or grumbling along or reciting our well-rehearsed songs. And it leaves us with such a small view, not only of this little man in our text today, but a small view of ourselves and an undersized understanding of the grace of the one who comes looking for each of us. Interestingly, if we read this story closely, it's not quite clear just who Luke is calling small. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. Now we infer who this is referencing based on the clues of this passage, but actually it's hard to tell whom he refers to. And in the Greek version of this story, it's even more confusing. And actually, interpreters throughout history have wanted to clarify, is Zacchaeus being referred to as small or is it Jesus? Now, of course, some ancient interpretations of this story scoff at the idea that Jesus could be the small person. Jesus would have had to have been tall and strong, with a compelling and loud voice, and with wavy hair, of course. But maybe it lets us ask how often we just shrink them both. And how often we shrink down God's justice and mercy and love as though it's only for some, or as though it's limited in scope and size, as though it requires us to ask for it, or search for it, or run for it, or to climb a tree for it, or to go and find it and seek it out ourselves, as though it's only for those who measure up. When remember what Jesus says in our passage today, I have come to go and seek and find and save all of those who are lost. You see, Zacchaeus was not, first and foremost, a small man. He was, before anything else, a lost man. He was lost in a world where he was known only by what he did and what he had obstructed from a view and an understanding of salvation. And I wonder how many of us have been there. I wonder how many of us are there, even now, Zacchaeus climbed up a tree but we don't have to do that and that's because from the home of Zacchaeus in Jericho jesus goes straightway to jerusalem he goes straightway to all that is ahead he goes to that table where he will share with his disciples about the love that will be left with them he goes to that hill where he dies For each and for all and for this vision of a world as it can yet be. And he goes to the tomb from which he will come back. Always come back to remind us again and again that he has found us. So that all of us might know a view that is unobstructed. An understanding of the possibilities that come through the mercy of God in Christ. So come down from that perch. He says it to us all. Come out from anywhere that you've been hiding. Come and rest in the shade of this tree. Come and receive me into your home, your life. Come, remember that you are a child of Abraham too. Come, change in ways that you could never imagine on your own. He says to us, so that all of us might know once more that the mercy of God it has never been as small as we've made it out to be and thanks be to God